Ladies and gentlemen, the recipient of the National Jefferson Award and the number one New York Times best-selling author, your host, Dave Pelzer. Hello, America and world at large. This is your host, Dave Pelzer, speaking to you, as always, in my own voice. And once again, as always, we thank you with all that's going on in the world. And I, I know the next few weeks are going to be a little bit more white noise with, with the politics of dancing, with the elections coming up and so forth. But I just truly appreciate you taking the time from your busy schedules, uh, whether you're having a cup of coffee. or I know we have we, we get folks say they like to take a nice walk and listen to the show. Bottom line, I'm just so appreciative that you can have us on board. I truly do appreciate it. And again, anybody who knows me knows I'm not your best host, but I always attempt to try to give you my best. And I think that's why we're doing pretty good with these shows. So thank you very, very much for listening. You know, I, I can't do this without you. And it motivates me, actually, ladies and gentlemen. Um, a little off script here. Uh, I think the last show or the show before that, I was actually a little overwhelmed. Uh, when I saw that, uh, the, that, you know, we couldn't even see the sun. It was dark at, you know, at, at noon, for goodness sakes. It was like a, what I call a nuclear winter. And it was like, oh, my goodness, what else? What else? That's why I joked and said the only thing California hasn't seen is a visit from Godzilla, for goodness sakes. But I do pray that these shows help just a little bit, kind of just calm things down a little bit, you know, find something you might have lost, rekindle something. Look at things differently. Just, you know, just take it easy one day at a time. Uh, I, I wish I wish someone like, uh, well, Rogers was around. And you may have to Google that. He was a gentleman when we had the Great Depression last century. He was a gentleman that traveled all over and sang songs and, and just visited folks and just, you know, talk on the radio. And he was really a voice of calm and reason. Just a regular guy, just a regular Joe. And uh, right now, I know there's a lot of tension, again, because of the politics of what's going on. We're still worried about the kiddos going to school. There's, uh, I guess Portland's happy because, as I reported last show, uh, they were on fire when I last broadcast the show. It was just absolutely terrible. But my protesters are back at it again, so <laughs> I guess that's kind of ops normal. But uh, it's we're in this for the long haul, ladies and gentlemen. We really, really are. So, again, thank you so much for listening. And with that, we always ask the question, how are you? How are you doing? And when I ask that sometimes, I just want you to take a nice, take a nice deep breath and let go of that tension. Because, again, folks, uh, there, there's, a, there's a lot of hype right now about, uh, you know, a cure for the virus. Mm, maybe not a cure, but, you know, we can take some medicine for it. But it's going to take a while. I know some people were saying, well, they want it all done before Thanksgiving, because I, I don't know how we're going to do it this year, ladies and gentlemen. That's something we should all think about now is how do we do a virtual Thanksgiving dinner? That might be an option. Uh, we saw the Emmys, was it uh, last week? They really did a good job on how they did it. I mean, I can't imagine the time and expense of all the cameras and so forth. But, you know, it's a different learning curve for me as well. You know, I have to Zoom my meetings rather than doing personal appearances anymore. But we all have to adjust but it's going to be a while, for goodness sakes. So they're, they're predicting that maybe, maybe they'll have some medicine by the end of this year. Maybe. There's still a lot of testing to go on. And then the, the people with sound mind and intelligence are saying it's still going to take maybe another year 
to get you know the medicines uh, uh, to everybody as needed. So it's, it's not going to be a flip of the switch, folks. And anybody who says that, I, I, I don't know their logic. So all I'm trying to say is deep breaths, one step at a time, do as much as you can. Do what you keep doing. If you survive this, I mean, I mean, hopefully, I mean, it's sad. Gosh, you know, it's just sad. Over 200,000 people dead in our country. You know, there's, there's, there's going to be a lot of questions that have to be answered. When, when did you know? How, how did you find out? What did you do with the knowledge? There's going to be a lot of questions when this thing is said and done. You know, 200,000 people, folks. Uh, someone said... That's more than seven of our wars, latest wars combined, something like that. And I'm not sure how they're going to get how they get those numbers. But just all of us just calm down. If we can get through, you know, March and April, then I then I I think we can and should get through the rest of this because now and they're saying because we're entering flu season, ladies and gentlemen, keep keep wearing those masks, keep social distancing. Some people are saying eight to 10 feet apart. If that's what it takes, do it. But again, I'm concerned about like Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah and so forth. Well, we may have to look at things differently. But whatever you do, just please take care of yourself. And all that you do, please take care of you. Because even if it's another year or so, and, and there's going to be good days and bad days, a lot of peaks, a lot of valleys. I mean, this, this is, this is, this is going to be a long haul road for all of us. And, and I'm afraid that we're going to lose more people, unfortunately. And it just, it just breaks my heart. You know, it's just, uh, I've known people, again, that have passed away from it. Uh, dozens of friends who've had it and so forth, as you do as well. So every, every day that we're not affected by the virus or, you know, it's, it's normal now to wear the mask and do little things. You know, one day at a time, ladies and gentlemen. So please take good care of yourself. And that's your PSA of the day. All right. We have a few questions we want to answer here, and I apologize. Uh, we, we, we're on, I guess, Facebook, and I, I, don't, I have people that manage that because you don't want me there. I'll push the wrong button, for goodness sakes. But we've gotten a lot of questions about the movie. Yes, 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 the movie. Uh, uh, for many years now, uh, a child called it has uh, is, is been, uh, you know, and development i think is the phrase uh development and that's the lowest of the low development means people are interested in the, the project and what happens ladies and gentlemen and i'll kind of slow down here is there's something called dramatic rights usually the author has what's called dramatic rights so when agents or, or production companies or whoever calls that's the first question they ask is what's the status of the dramatic rights well, in this case, our, our friends at HCI own the rights. When I signed the contract, it was like, oh, my goodness, I kind of gave them the rights, which, you know, is, is fine, you know, but uh, uh, the, it's, 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 it's kind of a weird thing. Here's, here's the deal. To me, there, there's two different Hollywoods. Really, there really is. You know, it's not like, you know, uh, you walk off the bus and, you know, oh, my gosh, you're a producer, or an actress, or a director, cameraman, and so forth. It is a... I, for me to say it's hard, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty crazy because I, hard is normal for me. You say, no, I'll find a way to make it do a yes. If the door is closed, I'll go over, under, through it. You know, I'll do what I can. But the two different Hollywoods, very simple. You've got what I call Malpasso Productions. I knew about Malpasso Productions as a child 
I mean, as, as, a, as a teenager in foster care. Matt Palsa Productions is owned by America's finest uh, uh, gentleman of gentlemen, Mr. Clint Eastwood. He decided he was smart enough at a very young age when he was doing a series called Rawhide, a TV series. Uh, I, I forget his character's name at the time. But he knew that the series eventually would end, and he struggled for years just to get this one shot, this one slot. Uh, Rowdy Yates, Rowdy Yates, if I'm correct, that's the character. But he was smart enough to figure out, hey, I can't act forever. So he learned how to set up shots, how to shoot shots, shoot scenes, and eventually started his own production company called Malpaso, in which for over, what, 40, 50 years now, he has written uh, some screenplays, if I'm correct. He's produced and directed and, of course, starred in some of his films. So he was he was the person who actually taught me as a child, no, don't do one thing. Do three or four things that kind of interconnect. And that's what I do as a, a public speaker when I do in-service training or I'll do comedy as well. And I'll do several different type of public speaking in-service trainings. I do books. I did radio for a while, and now we're doing this. So it's all kind of interconnected. And people like Mal Paso, they're professionals. He's had Joel Cox, his editor, I think for over 30, maybe even 40 years now. They have the same team. So they can, they can set things up. They can build sets. They know how to work the sounds, the lighting, the catering. Boom, boom, boom. It's, it's really a good deal. They're very professional. And I knew when I met Mr. Eastwood, I didn't even ask because there was no need to ask, hey, would you like to turn this into a movie? You know, it was just, it was generally spoken like, hey, this, this isn't for me per se. And there's people like our, our good friend Mark Rodesky. Um, he did, he was one of the original producers for Lord of the Rings. And, and, and just a super, super nice guy. He broke out to his own production company and trying to get things together. And Mark's so sweet, God bless him. He has, uh, there's two swords. I think the Return of the King was the third part of the trilogy. And they gave him, the, there was two swords, they gave him one. I have a photo with Mark, and I swear to God, the sword is taller than him. And it's a heavy, this is a heavy prop. Oh my goodness. But they tried to make it work, and it didn't. They tried, and they didn't. And then you have someone like a, an Angelina Jolie. I got to meet her hours when she came back from Iraq. I remember waking up uh, on a Thursday. I'm supposed to meet her on a Sunday. And there she is in Iraq. I'm going, oh, I told my crew, I says, hey, cancel the meeting. She's obviously not going to make it. We called her people. They said, oh, yeah, she'll be there for the meeting on Sunday. Don't you worry. She has a jet, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I'm, I, I remember meeting with her, super nice lady. Uh, got to bump into Brad a little bit, made him laugh a little bit. Uh, and, 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 you know, she, she, she was very pregnant, <laughs> very pregnant. And God bless her, she was so sweet. She, she went to the, the, the different production companies, Columbia and Fox and so forth, and Warner Brothers, and tried to pitch it, and, you know, it didn't work out. But these are professional people in the business that know what to do, and, you know, they like a project, and they, 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 they want to, you know, do what they can for the project. And if it doesn't work out, it's not personal, and that's fine. I understand. You can't, you know, for some people to say, Dave, we gave your project 30 days. And normally we give it two. I'm going, well, thank you. Now that I know, thank you. Now, the other Hollywood is, is, is sometimes shady and, and even desperate. Uh, 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 and there's always meetings about meetings to have a meeting. And, and I'm not a meeting guy. 
if, if I meet, I, I, I want to know you and what do you know and not know and give you uh, problems with three or four solutions or vice versa. I just, I just hate meetings about having meetings. I'm sorry. I just, oh, I just, it just makes me want to scream. I remember years ago uh, when the book was on the list, and that's how Hollywood kind of chooses projects too. They, once you're on the New York Times bestseller list, it lets you know how long you're on the list and so forth. And, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's a good free advertising. So they, they say, oh, this book's been on the list for four years, five years. Wow, there's a built-in audience. Everything is about putting butts in the seats. That's why, and I think I mentioned on one of the shows, that, that uh, uh, s- they say, well, we're disappointed on, on the weekend opening receipts. They're off by $2 million. Well, how can they be off? They, they basically know before they shoot, before they start serious production of a movie, approximately how many people will come to see a Batman film, a James Bond, a Mission Impossible. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's very analytical. So the, 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 these, these folks who have meetings, I remember one time, the book was new on the list, and, and, and somehow I, I, I had a meeting, and I thought this gentleman was a producer, but he was just a kid. I, I was in my, what, mid-late 30s? Uh, yeah, late 30s. And, and, and this kid's like 23, 24, and he invites his friends to meet me because, oh, my gosh, that's Dave Pelzer, like whatever. And I remember this one guy rushes in and says, oh, my God, oh, my God. Look across the street. Look across the street. See that person who's talking to that person? I made eye contact with that person, and that person has a dog, Tom Cruise. And, and everybody stops. They're fascinated. What, what? Is that Tom Cruise over there? No. Is that Tom Cruise's dog, dog walker? No. Then, well, he reminds me of Tom Cruise. And everybody's like, wow, really cool. Wow. And they, they just kept saying the story over and over again. I said, gentlemen, stop. Uh, can we move on with the Tom Cruise thing? And, and, and should we talk about, like, have, have you had a meeting with anybody? Have you pitched it to anybody? Are you an, is, is there an agent involved? Let's really talk about these things. Well, let's talk about it next time. And I found out over time, it's normal. It's very dysfunctional. That the, the last time I had a, a meeting with a uh, so-called producer, I think his name was, uh, oh, goodness, J.B., J.B., and I found, and, and it's, it's a lot of game playing, a lot of chess moves involved, because I'm a military man. You, sh- you tell me to be somewhere at 10, my butt's in the seat at 20 to 10. If it's a five-minute drive, I take, I, I lot myself a half an hour, because I don't like to be late. I think it's rude. Uh, I like, you know, and then I get a table and how many people, and I can kind of set things up. I remember with this uh, meeting with uh, uh, JB, big JB, they call him, big man, big powerful man, uh, they switched the meeting from one place uh, with like 30 minutes notice. And I thought that was kind of rude. I said, well, when did you guys know about changing the meeting? Oh, a couple, three or four days ago. Why are you telling me now? Because that's the other side of Hollywood and, and, and there's traffic. That's okay. We don't mind. Okay. Thank you for that. And I remember I was the first person, even though I was late, to get to this restaurant. And I figured, okay, there's five to seven people. You know, and I asked the person who set it up, okay, so JB knows about the book has a bio, knows about me, and, 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 you know, I have a few questions, and, like, what film says he actually produced? Oh, he's produced a lot, a lot. You wouldn't know. I'm going, can you give me a list so I can Google it and see what kind of crew he works with or a director or what kind of stories he tells? Dave, that's okay. I don't mind. All right. So I'm the first person there. People start coming in, and the first thing I notice is when someone enters the door of a restaurant, everybody stops. Look at see who it is. And then five seconds later, they go back to their business because, ah, it's nobody. It's nobody, for goodness sakes. 
So JB is the last person there, and I swear to God, he's dressed like a Backstreet Boy, one of those boy bands, you know, the, 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 the cap uh, around the head backwards, loud, loud clothes, and, and he's a big guy. He's got a nice big belly, and he's got to be pushing 65 or so, but he's, he's dressed like, he, again, he's just a young kid. And this, he has this crew with him, you know, carrying bags, yakking on cell phones, yelling at cell phones. Yeah, I'm at the restaurant. I'm five feet into the restaurant. I'm now 10 feet from, from the table. There's a guy sitting there. That might be him. Okay, okay. Eye contact. Yes, yes. I mean, just talking to talk to make yourself so important. And I'm going, gosh, not again, one of these meetings. So basically, we introduce each other. And I found out very quickly, JB has no idea who I am has not read the book, has not looked at the screenplay with uh, this one guy says, okay, try this with the screenplay, take the scene out, uh, open up the scene more, uh, get some emotional content. And every time I do something, I always ask, tell me what you want before I do it, and, and we'll discuss it, and I'll give you three or four different you know, examples you know, that you can pick, which is no problem. That's my job, per se, if I'm going to contribute to a screenplay, because I want it to be very, very good. So anyway, JP is going on and on and on. And, and I remember, you know, uh, sitting next to him, and, and, and he kind of sighs. He goes, you know, Mr. Mr. Belzer, Mr. Welzer, I am not a writer. No, JB, not you. You're a producer. You're the man, JB. Everybody loves you. Hello. I'm not a writer. But I was thinking, write this down, Belzer, uh, write this down, pink elephants. What? Pink elephants, write that down. Oh, my gosh, JB, that's brilliant. Oh, my God, you're the man. Oh, you're so smart, JB. I love you so much. I'm going, okay, they're, they're kissing his backside on this. And then, and then a few minutes later, he's just rambling and rambling and rambling. And, you know, I thought about this. Write this down, Belzer. Uh, flying zombies. Oh, my gosh, JB, you're brilliant. You're the man. And I'm like, oh, goodness. So that that's basically <laughs> a long-winded answer is is what I call the two Hollywoods. Now, to answer the question, um, the dramatic rights have been owned uh, for the last two, maybe almost three years. And, and uh, uh, I, I found out I, as of two or three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, that this person who owns the dramatic rights from the publisher uh, wants an extension because of the virus, which makes perfect sense. But it's, you know, and I always ask for an update. And the update is always the same thing, they're switching names around. The update is uh, uh, we have people looking at the project a few months ago or last year. It was uh, I got an A-list writer, and they don't like to tell names. They never say, you know, so, uh, you know Catherine Bigelow or, or so forth. Uh, it's, it's always I got an A-list writer who's also a director because I suggested a female director-writer, someone more maternal in a sense, or someone like a Bob Semeckis who's really got emotional content. So there's uh, a writer-director involved best of the best, A-lister, we're on it. And then six months later, how is that A-listed writer director doing? No, fired, terrible person, never liked her, never. But I have someone else right now who's looking at it. We've got a big meeting coming up real, real, real soon, and, and, and we'll let you know. So it's just, it's a loop. It's a loop, for goodness sakes. So uh, I, I don't know. Uh, it's, 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 it's really, it's kind of hard. I, I kind of predict, like with Ian Fleming, uh, when Ian Fleming passed away, they were really in production for the James Bond series, you know. And, of course, we'll give them to my son, and he can, you know, run off with the rights and, or, you know, have his say-so in that. But that's that's the status of the movie. Uh, um, I, I wrote different versions of the screenplay that I thought were really good. 
very emotional content, no violence. No one would see any violence. You would see an aftershot of the boy falling, or maybe you see a little bit of blood, but you're not going to see, like, getting stabbed or getting burned and so forth. And I, I liked it on my versions because it uh, really, really tied in together what the teachers were doing and the police officer and everybody involved in a sense. But it's, and I wish I was a director. I told this one guy, if I was a director, I can set up shot for shot on this. But, uh, you know, that's, that's not my thing. And uh, all I can do is hope and pray that if it works, we have a good team. You know, I've always seen it as a small independent film and I want to keep it PG, PG 13, uh, the language and violence. So it can be shown at schools you know, use as a discussion point with the book uh, and so forth and talk about resilience or talking about when something overwhelms you, what do you do? Just like per se with the virus. That's why if you, if you kind of look at it, uh, I'm not that smart, obviously, but we use the virus as a backdrop as, you know, what do we do now type thing? Just like I use my backstory as, you know, what happened to me as a kid has really helped me a lot as an adult to be resilient, to, to, to not be so overwhelmed, to not get swallowed by the white noise of life. Because a lot of people are so emotional about politics these days. One guy I thought was going to have an aneurysm, uh, a lot of yelling, again, a lot of, a, lot of, a lot of people in dismay. I understand uh, the need to protest, but I don't understand needless violence. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't understand how you vandalize people's property, people's hard-earned property that isn't yours. I just don't understand. And what I have to do sometimes when I get overwhelmed, when I am so frustrated when I'm trying to talk to a producer and he says, I don't like to answer questions. Hollywood does not like questions whatsoever. So Tommy Cruise never says, do I rappel off the building or do I hang on to the plane? What scene are we doing? It's just... You know, it's almost like, are you pregnant? Do you have cancer? Are you the Antichrist? You know, just answer a question. But it's just the nature of that business. The only thing we do have going for it is everybody recognizes the book. A child called it. It was, you know, internationally uh, uh, acclaimed and, and, and sold a lot of books. It was, uh, I think, at one time the number one book in the world, which is a lot of people can't say that. That's why, again, I'm just humbled and honored to do a podcast show or to serve my community as a firefighter. I'm looking at 60 here in a few months. I never thought, ladies and gentlemen, I would have the adventures I've had. God has truly blessed me. I know, again, I should be in jail or I should be in prison or I should be dead. That's why I try to be a really nice person. I try to be really kind, humorous at times, <laughs> in the face of despair and complete misery. You know, it's, it's a lot. So if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, to me, that, 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 that's fine, too. We'll just, you know, what's the old saying? Man plan, but God laughs. All right. Let's get to the other question, and this might take us a few minutes as well. So I appreciate your patience. Uh, we got a lot of questions about my mom. A lot. Is she still alive? If so, where does she live? <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, one, before I forget, uh, we questions like, how can you forgive her, Dave? I have no choice. I have to forgive her. Said it before, I'll say it again. Hurt people hurt people. My mother never had a chance. Again, we didn't talk about health, let alone cancer, let alone uh, miscarriages. We didn't talk about uh, diseases like alcoholism, drug addiction. Didn't talk about money. Didn't talk about church. Didn't talk about your past. Everything was kept in the box, the lockbox, that Pandora's box. 
My mother was horribly abused and brainwashed and controlled even as an adult by her psycho mom, my grandmother. It's sad. And if I don't forgive my mom, what happens to me? What happens to my son? What happens to my little uh, grandson? What happens to me in life and, 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 and the hell I can cause? It's almost like if you were abused for 10 minutes, bullied for 10 minutes, you spend 10 to 100 hours just to get even. And then, then that's not even enough. Because then you start to feed. The pleasure of bullying, the pleasure of abusing someone. It's a very, it's, it, the, as they say, the sickness is deep. The sickness is deep. So I do pray that my mom is in heaven and finally resting in peace. You know, it's weird. As a firefighter and, and, and again, pushing 60, I've outlived my dad's age. I think he died at, uh, oh, my goodness, 57, 58. Just a broken man, just a broken. He, everybody says he was a gentle person, a gentle man. And on duty, he was bullish. He was like, get in there, get the job done, rescue the kids, put out the fires, do what you got to do. And it's a little bit hard for me to forgive. I, I forgive my mom easier than my dad. I forgive my dad, but it just, it just hurts me as a father, as a grandparent, or in, you know, as a, you know, a public servant, you know, helping out as best I can. But back then, it was very different times. That's why if you listen to the show, we talk about everything. Yeah, you want me to give out advice about sex? Have great sex. God bless you. All right. Uh, uh, watch your, uh, monitor your vices so you don't get overwhelmed or become a slave to a vice. Uh, we talk about everything. We talk about cancer. We talk about the world at large. I joke around a little bit. Someone said, Dave, don't say North Korea and your sponsorship plug. I'm going, why not? I would love North Korea to listen to the show. <laughs> Please. Iraq, uh, I mean, Iran and Syria and Rodinia, Russia. Yes, I would love to have them listen to the show. You know, it's kind of like when Victor Berlenko defected. Going off script here, History 101. Don't try this at home, kids. I'm a professional. Victor Berlenko was a fire pilot in the then brand-new MiG-25. It was designed for one purpose, ladies and gentlemen, to shoot down the SR-71 Mach 3 spy plane, the Blackbird. So to fly the MiG-25, oh, my gosh, that was the highest honor. He defected to Japan, northern Japan. And he was taught as a child, uh, 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 you know, that, that everybody's oppressed, everybody's slaved to, to the capitalism swine, America, decadence and drugs and alcohol and sex. And he was, when he brought him over to America, the CIA brought him over to America, he was like so afraid. He says, wow, African-Americans are driving cars. I didn't know they did that. I, I was taught that they, they were, oh my goodness, they can't drive. Yes, 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 they can drive. They can do whatever they want. We have issues, but we're working on them. He freaked out when he went to a supermarket. He ran outside to the back and thought it was a prop job. Victor freaked out to see fresh produce, uh, color TV. And eventually what he did, I think if I'm correct, he got an RV and just drove state to state alone. What about my papers? You don't need papers. You just need a driver's license. Money, of course, for gas and food, but have a good time. See ya. And I, I think he lives back east if he's still alive. And I know at one time he was doing some teaching. That would have been a good person uh, to meet. But it was just different. It was just different. Does that make sense, ladies and gentlemen? Sometimes you believe propaganda. And you have to distinguish what is real and what is fantasy or what is an absolute lie. My mom never had a chance. She was brainwashed. I was brainwashed. But everything that happened to me happened at the right time. You know, age eight, 
you know, I developed a, a program that I'm not going to quit. I'm, I'm going to have to go through hell, but I'm going to keep going. My mom, I just, I just feel as old as I get, because when you're at my age, ladies and gentlemen, you do a lot of reflection. A lot. Who you're with, uh, why it didn't work out, what you could have done differently. The time machine. Like the moment in time, if I could have gone backwards, boop, you know, Marty McFly, this is where I want to end up. You know, making good choices, you know, not throwing things away, valuing things, valuing people's time and energy and their love. Maybe, maybe building more fences. I don't know. It's just, you know, I remember a few years ago, I was 44. I was in the best shape of my life. Had everything going for me, uh, doing a lot of speaking. Went over to uh, Iraq to help out and do some comedy shows. I had beautiful sports cars, uh, more hair, <laughs> a lot more hair. You know, uh, I had nice times, had really nice times, did a lot of nice things. I, I, I didn't blow it on the Vegas trips or, you know, what sometimes people do. I just, that's just not me. And now I just, I'm, I'm getting reflective. I am, the answer to another question very quickly too is, is, yes, I am thinking about book nine. Book nine will be about being of service at age 60. You know, how can you still be of service to your family, to your community, and again, being reflective. But to, to get back at my mom, I, I have to forgive her. If you carry that dark heart, all it does is consume you. It just it makes you into that person, and you can't get out of that abyss. Because if you hate one person, it's easier to hate someone else or something else. And then your heart is filled with hate. You only have so much room in your heart, ladies and gentlemen. Forgiving my mom helps me sleep. Because everything about my, my life right now is about time and energy. How much time and energy do I put into this project? How much time and energy do I, am I going to talk about the politics of dancing? <laughs> and it's not going to make a hill of beans. You know, we, we process things in the military. And we have after-action briefings in the fire department as well. They're called green sheets. If there's someone that was seriously injured or passed away, we analyze everything. And it's hard to hard armchair quarterback. Well, what if they did this? What if they did that? Because when you're in the middle of it, when the fit hits the shan, man, sometimes you can't move fast enough. But you try to avoid these things through training. So I'd rather just forgive her and let it go so I can focus on my grandson, so I can focus on my health or focus on maybe the next part of my life. I don't know. A lot of, lot of moving pieces. So I forgive her so I can sleep. So one of the questions we had about mom Actually, two questions that we'll try to answer for you, and I appreciate your patience. Did you ever see her again when I was removed? I was removed uh, the first Friday in 1973. I think it was, uh, I want to say March 3rd or the 5th. I'm not sure. Uh, I did see her that May when we went into court, when I was officially placed in, as a ward of the court through foster care. And God bless my foster parents, and God bless CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocates. God bless the teachers and social workers, you know, and, and I saw a good report today. There was a car that was on fire, I think, in L.A., and these, these guys opened the, the doors to get these guys out of the car, and, and they saved their lives. And I'm glad that we can see good news about that, ladies and gentlemen. They do good stuff all the time. God bless these people. So I saw her in court, and I was with Miss Gold, my social worker, and I was very, very afraid, of course, because I thought there was a chance that mom would snatch me and take me away. And I wrote her a little letter, and, and I don't remember the exact contents, but it was something the effect of, I'm sorry that I told the secret, and please forgive me. Which is really, again, brainwashed. That's kind of normal for that, for that situation. And I remember reading that letter, 
because my social worker saw the letter before she allowed me to give it to my mom just a few feet away. And I had the rare opportunity to read my case. I don't know if it was legal, but when I turned 18, uh, my files were, you know, I don't know if they were destroyed or, you know, or kept what we used to call the well. And they allowed me to kind of read through the whole case. And I remember that letter, you know, word for word was, was in there. And it just struck me like, oh, my gosh. But after that, um, I really didn't see her. I really didn't see her. She wanted nothing to do with me. You know, if anything, um, uh, you know, I was no longer her son, even though I <laughs> wasn't in a sense. You know, they weren't allowed to use the name David. And it was like I, I was never even born. And that really hurt me at the time. It really did because she deliberately would just do stuff like that, ice me out. But I did see her uh, before she passed. And uh, I remember it was, uh, I think, the June of 1991. I just was back from the war in the Gulf. I was transferred from California, Beale Air Force Base, to uh, Omaha, Nebraska uh, uh, Strategic Air Command Headquarters for another weapon system called the Looking Glass, basically a flying telephone <laughs> unit. <laughs> That's all it was. And uh, driving from California to just outside Salt Lake City, uh, made contact with my mom. And I don't know, ladies and gentlemen, like I say before, I'm kind of a psychological voyeur. You know, I wanted questions answered. And I just, I just, I don't know, I just wanted to kind of sound stupid, but I wanted to look at the face of the devil. I mean, to know how close I came. And my brothers had moved out except for my youngest. He was still very young. I think uh, he was uh, maybe 15 or 16, maybe 17. I, I don't know for sure. And uh, I, and let me kind of paint this. And this is not going to be Moana. Okay, this is going to be pretty, pretty, pretty bad. If you remember, I've said before, my mom had the most beautiful flower garden in Daly City. She was the envy of the neighborhood. She was the PTA lady extraordinaire. She can host a party the drinks, the music. I mean, my mom just floated when I was a baby, just a small little kid. I mean, you know, age three or four, she just floated. Everybody loved my mom. She had kept an immaculate house. Years later, she kept an immaculate house because I was a slave. But her hair, her perfume, the dresses, I mean, she was like Donna Reed. And you have to Google Donna, Doris Day, Google Doris Day. Just that type of, of, a, of a wife, of a mom, of a neighbor. Everything about her was like, Wow. And I remember listening to people. Oh, Mrs. Pelzer has the best hors d'oeuvres. Oh, look at Catherine. She makes the best drinks. Oh, her children are so well-behaved. They're so clean. Everything about her is like, ta-da. Not so when I went to visit her in 91. I remember going to the house, and the house was basically dead. Going, it's, 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 there's houses next to it, and they got nice grass, paint, flowers. The house... Hadn't been painted in years. The grass is completely dead. You know, and, and, and you, you can tell the paint is peeling. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this cannot be her house. I looked up the address again. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I can hear heavy breathing and thuds of her coming down little steps, steps uh, you know, small amount of steps. She opens the door, and, and my eyes had to adjust because, one, I didn't recognize her. And she just opens the door, and I don't even know if, she, I mean, she just opens the door, and I think she turns to let me in. Like, okay. And the thing that overwhelmed me, ladies and gentlemen, was the stench. That foul, sweaty, dead stench of sweat, not ventilating the house, an acrid-type smell. I remember looking at the side of the walls, and it was like 
like thick yellow dried honey. And what it was, it was just the years and years and years of smoking inside a closed environment. It was this, I, there's no word. Disgusting is, is, is a beautiful adjective to how it really was. And I kind of followed her up the steps, closed the door. I took a deep breath. I was like, oh, my gosh. I remember I thought my foot was going to punch through the stairs. The carpet is threadbare worn. The padding's worn. And again, the smell of like, like just absorbing animal feces and dog hair, cat hair, years and years of this. And the house is dark. My mom set up for Christmas the day after Thanksgiving. Took her maybe a day and a half. She loved the holidays. This woman loved the holidays. Day after uh, 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 New Year's, everything's taken down. Everything's taken down and then rearranged for the next seasonal event, whatever that might be. I go up the stairs as dark as can be. She plops onto this, this chair. That's her throne in a sense. And again, there's a smell of urine in the air, that, 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 that ammonia-like smell of urine. She plops down. She gasps. Her hands are shaking. She's got rheumatoid arthritis. Her face is bloated. Her hair is matted gray all over the place. She hasn't had a haircut in maybe years. And I'm looking around, and the Christmas decorations are still up. I remember kind of saying something about, says, oh, yeah, they've been there for years. What? Yeah, they've been there for years. Why take them down? Here's a woman that had everything including control of my life. There's an old saying, ladies and gentlemen, the more you tighten up your grasp, the more things slip through your fingers. And now, again, her big thing, she tells me that she sleeps in the chair. She tries to watch the television show. She's got a couple TVs. You know, I think one's broken. I don't know. And, and you know, she, she, she's got bottles of vodka around her, around the throne. And... Part of me is like, oh, my gosh. I, I could not believe this was the person that loved watching me pass out when, when, when she would choke me. Who would giggle and laugh as she would ram a spoon of ammonia down my throat. When she stabbed me by accident and I thought we were going to go to the hospital. And I remember leaning up against her and trying to convey the message. It's okay. I forgive you. I know it was an accident. And she bandaged me up as best she could, and boom, you now have 30 minutes to complete the task of doing the dishes. She reveled. She reveled. This, this, this was her thing. Unbelievable. Not the person I was looking at. And tr I'm trying not to breathe, and after a while, you just breathe all this stuff in. And I walked around the kitchen. The dishes haven't been done. Stacks of stuff. And I'm thinking, how can my brother live here? This is, this, this is beyond disgusting. This, oh, my gosh. And then, you know, we talked. We talked. She, she was convinced that she took my brother, Stephen, pardon me, Stan, Stanley, on, on, on the fishing trip at Memorial Park. It says, no, you picked me. You picked me. And she said, obviously, I would not pick it. Why would I pick it to come fishing with me? So her mind is starting to slip a lot. And then she would, we would talk about something, nothing, and then she would say, you know, it used to steal a lot of food, David. That's why I had to treat it the way I did, David, because it was always trying to get food, and I didn't want it to have anything at all, nothing. It didn't deserve to eat. Okay, thank you for that, I'm thinking. Just, just throwing things out there, because it was a four-hour interview. 
the best interviews, ladies and gentlemen, are done when without knowing they're being done. It's kind of like dating, because think about when you date, you're interviewing. You're interviewing for the position of husband or wife or lover or good friend, whatever. It's an interview. What do you like? What do you don't like? I go to bed early. You go to bed late. I'm a Christian. Mm, you're not. I mean, little things, whatever. I like movies. You don't. I like to golf. You like to dance. I mean, little things. You're interviewing. You're interviewing for a position. And I interviewed her, and, and that's when she really opened up about how she was raised. And I started, because at the time I was a, a counselor in juvenile hall, too. So I studied a lot of psychology, you know, and I kind of put pieces together when you saw kids come in, you know. And, and I remember the Sears brothers. Uh, uh, we get a new Sears brother in the juvenile hall, like, every eight to nine months. I think there was five of these boys. And they all came in through the same process. They were beaten by their mom, beaten by their stepdad of the month, drugs involved, extreme violence. And the kids just acted out. They acted out, which was really sad to see. Okay, this is the path. If you don't, if you don't change it, you're in trouble forever, forever. My mom didn't have a chance. My grandmother beat the hell out of her and my uncle. My uncle beat the heck out of his wife and treated one of his daughters horribly. The worst thing you can do to a daughter, and I don't want to really talk about that. And it affected her forever. It's just sad. It's just sad. That's why we talk, ladies and gentlemen. That's why we listen. That's why we want to build fences. I don't care if it's about uh, 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 peace in the Middle East or peace in your house. Never go to bed upset. Never. Work it out. Don't end up like me. I've had more losses than anybody. But you know what? I got to take responsibility for what I did and what I didn't do. That's why we're going to talk it out. My mom was raised, keep your mouth shut. Mary, have lots of kids and Nah, things will sort themselves out. But I was interviewing her. And toward the end, toward the very, very end, I remember uh, I, I, I wanted to ask the question without really asking the question. The question I wanted to ask was, how close were we? How close were we to, to me dying, <laughs> whether through starvation or you're choking me for an extra 10 seconds, and then I just have no air. Uh, uh, throwing me down the set of stairs with, with so much force that I would break my neck. How close were we to you killing me is what I wanted to ask. And what I did, and it was just uh, maybe luck, is I dropped something on the floor. I was sitting on an ottoman stool. And, and I'm facing her, and she's above me. Psychologically, that gives her, uh, 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 you know, the, the, the upper hand, supremacy, and so forth. It's very, it's kind of deep. Again, that body language thing. And I kind of said something effect like, um, was there ever a chance that uh, we could have, uh, and I used my hands like I was holding the stick, and I broke the stick. And she knew exactly what I was saying. And immediately, before I can complete the question, you know, a rambling, fumbling, deliberate question, I, you know, I, I, I had the imaginary stick and I broke it. And as soon as she saw that, David, 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 you have to understand this. <sighs> I was, I was planning of killing it the summer, the summer, the summer, killing it the summer of 73, 1973. The only problem I had, David, was where to hide its body, David. And she smiled. As if ordering 
hamburgers, supersized fries, and diet cherry Coke, please. Thank you. Just a regular thing. Now, we can play this back and we can analyze this. That's called the double negative. She knows I'm her son, adult son, David. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a grown man. I have my own baby boy. You know, Stephen was, what, five or six at that age? She knows I'm a military man. I have a special skill set. Uh, I was a paratrooper at one time. Flying for the Air Force is not easy. You know, it's very demanding. She knew I was a counselor in juvenile hall. She already knew that I was the California Volunteer of the Year at that time. So I was getting a little bit of press and talking about resilience and, you know, starting something, whatever that was. You know, it was just really hard to hear that from my mother because she still saw this creature, David, as a non-human entity. That's why she referred to me as it. And the only problem she had was where to hide its body, David. So that's the last time I saw her, and I remember leaving the meeting, driving down the street, and I pulled over, and I had to vomit. She passed away months later in, I think, January of 1992. She had a heart attack, and she died instantly. She had no pain. My father took four to six months to die alone in a hospital. It was very sad. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, that answers a few questions. I want to thank, as always, our good friend, Mr. Pat Matheny, for allowing us to use his music. And as always, if you have any questions, you go to our website, DavePelzer.com. We'll try to put them in the shows as best we can. So thank you again for listening. And remember, in the course of a life, one never knows what events may transpire. So please, ladies and gentlemen, take good care of yourself and keep the faith. You never know what the tide's going to bring in the next day. And as always, do as much as you can for as long as you can for as many as you can. So this is your host, Dave Pelzer, speaking to you in my own voice, saving America from itself and the world at large, starting with me. Until next time, my good friends, take good care. And as always, good day, good luck, and God bless.